study together, isn't it? Let's, uh, you know, if you've been around at all in the month of October, uh, you'll know that we're speaking at the moment about a, uh, one of our core values, a desire uh, to learn. You know, and that's not just a core value of this church. You know, all of our core values, I believe, are kingdom values, because I don't want to come up with a set of values for the church that aren't the values of God's kingdom. Um, so this is a kingdom value. A desire to learn is something that, you know, as, as you've heard this, this series unfolding as we've been preaching in these last few weeks, and we've got another week after this as well. We've got Andy Greenoff, who's going to be coming and, uh, and sharing next week. He's just uh, started his Bible college journey, but he's coming back to visit. Uh, so I'm gonna, uh, we're going to be letting him, him share a message on the final week of desire to learn. But uh, I, I hope that you, what's been communicated through this uh, series so far is that, you know, each one of us that are on the journey with Christ, that are Christians, that are people of faith, that are believers, know that having a desire to learn is an essential part of the growth process. In fact, if you don't have a desire to learn, I said this on the opening week, if you don't have a desire to learn, you will stay in a spiritually infant state, which isn't God's desire for us, is it? That's not God's desire. You know, so... Um, I shared, you know, I, I did kind of the introductory message in this series, and one of the big things that I said was um, that if you asked me, if somebody was to come up to me and ask me the question, what would, um, if you had to recommend, you know, one a quality in a uh, in a in a believer's life that would enable them to grow and to develop and to and to live the life that, that Christ ultimately wants them to live, you know, what would that be? And what I said was to this: to cultivate a teachable spirit. Cultivate a teachable spirit. There is obviously there's, there's so many great qualities that God wants us to have that are essential for the journey. But you know, one thing that I just really earmark is this: having a teachable spirit, realizing, you know, grasping this realization deep down in the core of our being that we're not the finished article, and that on this side of eternity we're not going to be the finished article. So it is essential that we have a teachable spirit. But I've got to be honest: I'm glad that I'm getting a bit of a second crack at the whip because as most of the time I always go away and I analyze like what I've shared with the church. And I went back and I was thinking over that message, and I thought, you know, that you know, I stick by that. I stick by that that you know it's, it's vitally important for us to have a teachable spirit. But that message really should have been a bit of a two-part message, in my opinion. It you know because the way I see it is that the teachable spirit actually has to be accompanied by another. Um, by another spiritual quality. It needs to be almost tempered or tethered to this other spiritual quality. And that's what I want to share just in the brief moments that I've got this morning. Um, that spiritual quality is this, discernment. A teachable spirit accompanied by discernment. You know, just as an aside, um, um, you know, obviously this is a quite a big topic and um, I'll let you know that some of the plans for J28 Bible School uh, possibly in the next year is that we'll you know we'll do some some sessions on spiritual gifts uh, you know so this will come up again so this isn't really like you know an in-depth view it's more of a you know an overview an introduction to this so you know discernment discernment what is what is discernment and why is it so important so let's get our bibles open let's make that the first priority first corinthians 12 7 to 11 let's read this together verse 7 it says now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good if you don't mind underlining your bible highlight that underline it that's very 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 important when you're talking about the spiritual gifts Paul says that for a big reason. That's so important. Write it down. Verse 8, it goes on. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. 
to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by that same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Who's he? That's God. It's God, just as the Holy Spirit determines. God, the Holy Spirit, just as he determines, he gives those gifts. So let's come at it from a different angle. As I, you know, as I was just thinking about this and preparing, I thought to myself, there's two things that I really, 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 really desire for our children to grow up with, as in, as in mine and Lucy's children, not our children. But actually, having said that, as the pastor of the church, this is something that I desire for all of the children in our church to grow up with. Those two things are what I've already described. One, a teachable spirit, and the other one, discernment. Why? You know, why, you might ask. Well, put quite simply, the reason I say that is this, because not everything that we get taught is, in fact, beneficial to us. I don't know if you've, if you've ever realized that. Not everything that we get taught is beneficial to us. Not everything that we're taught in our lifetimes is true. You know, in a sense that it isn't, you know, it isn't God's intention or his will for our lives. It's not his best, I've heard it described before. You know, not every book or every newspaper article or every social media post that you read is true in a sense that it comes from the heart of God. Not every podcast you listen to will communicate that, that, which, will, uh, you know, that which will bring eternal benefit to your life. Not every speech that you listen to or any philosophical idea that is out there and that heavens knows there's a plethora of them, isn't there? There's plenty of them. Not every speech or philosophical idea is rooted in God's perfect word. Not everything, as I say, you know, making this relevant to our kids, not everything that our kids are taught in the classroom comes in line with the truth of God's word, does it? Now the truth is, of course, unless you want to be some kind of I ain't got a better word to describe it, so I'll just say weirdo, right? Unless you want to be some kind of, you know, some kind of strange uh, weirdo that keeps themselves from, you know, the impurities of the world, you're going to have to spend time in the world. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You've got to spend time in the world. As Christians, we're not called to uh, be separate from the world in a sense that we, you know, we, we, we separate ourselves and we don't rub shoulders with, uh, with people. When the, when the Bible talks about being separate, it's about a call to holiness. It's about a, a call uh, and a desire to live the life that Christ, that Christ desires for you. It's about laying down you know, your, your own desires and picking up your cross, living the life of Christ. So it isn't a call to, to separate yourself uh, from the world and, and to confine yourself away from anything that you know, would be deemed you know, the impurity of the world. You know, or else, how would we be effective missionaries? How would a massive part of the Christian life, a massive part of the Christian call is Matthew 28, isn't it? The Great Commission. Go into all the nations. Make disciples of all nations. How, how would we be witnesses for Christ if that was our mindset? You know, adults have got to spend time in the workplace. Tomorrow morning, you've got to get up, you've got to get out of bed, and you've got to go into the workplace if you want to make a living and provide for your family. We live in the world. Children have got to spend time in the classroom. You know, and... I've seen this happen where 
And I, I say this is poignant, of course, because I've got my own family and I've got my own kids and these are the, the questions that me and Lucy have to sit down and to, uh, and to work through. But a lot of people I've noticed have, have you know, because out of love for their children, you know, because we love our kids, don't we, and we want the best for them and we're protective. But in an effort to, to, uh, to out of love for them rather, and to try and guard them from hearing or seeing anything that's deemed to be spiritually harmful, um, there's only one big problem with that, and that is Matthew 28, as I said. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. How do we expect ourselves or our children to be active participants in God's Great Commission if they don't rub shoulders with those that, you know, that aren't Christians, those that have got opposing worldviews, those that have got different ideas? We're called to be a light that shines in darkness, aren't we? And it's pretty darn difficult to obey Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations if the, at the core of our being... Um, we think that we're supposed to refrain from engaging with the world. Can I tell you loud and clear, J28, it's our heart to engage with the world. That's what our part of our mission statement is. It's to know God. That's the first part. You know God, and then from knowing God, we make God known in our world. In my heart's desire for, for, for my children is this, that they'd be able to hang out with their friends. You know, and when a conversation arises or when, you know, an idea is proposed... They, you know, I want them to be able to have discernment in them situations to know, you know, is this what God desires for me or isn't it? I want them to be, identi to be able to identify from knowing God's word, this is what's beneficial for me. This is going to have eternal value for my life or this is something that I need to steer clear of. What I'm saying is I don't want them to grow up. Um, naive. I don't want them to grow up naive because I've kept them from everything. I want them to grow up discerning that, what, that which will benefit them or that which will harm them. It's a much better place to be, isn't it? Because at some point, I think Sam shared it just a few weeks ago. At some point, you know, those apron strings are going to have to be cut, aren't they? If they're going to go on and, uh, and have their own conviction about uh, who Jesus is and live the life that God has called them to, then you've got to cut the apron strings and they've got to start discerning for themselves. I don't want my kids to grow up naive. I want them to grow up discerning. And I believe, you know, my own conviction from, from Scripture as I, as I read through the Bible is that that's God's heart for every single one of his children. I'm not just talking about our kids now. That's his heart for every single person sat in this, in this room today, that you wouldn't be naive, but that actually you would be able to hear the arguments of society, that you would be able to hear the philosophical ideas, that you would be able to listen to other world religions, that you would be able to listen to other ideologies, but you would be able to distinguish that which is God and that which is not. The goal of discernment is not simply to avoid evil in this life, but to learn what is good and true so that we may embrace it and enjoy it. Is that okay? It's to be able to embrace and enjoy that which is good. And as we embrace and enjoy what is good, you know, we're truly witnesses to the world of a better way, aren't we? You know, I, I, I guess one of the goals for my life would be, one of the real wins would be to live my life in such a way that people would look at me and they would ask, you know, they would ask, why, you know, why does this guy stay faithful to his wife? Well, because ultimately I believe that it's calling God's word and that it will, it will bring not just short-term benefit, but it will bring long-term fruit as well. And that as people see, 
And as, as people see that, as they see how the, the, you know, the way that you parent your children, the way that you, that, you, that you live your marriage and that you treat your spouse, the way that you operate in the workplace, the way that you speak, talk about speak, this is going to be the next thing we'll talk about, is godly speech. Something so much more than not swearing, let me tell you. It's about so much more than just not using bad language. But we'll come on to that before I go on a tangent. You know, the, 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 the goal of our... Um, our witnessing is that people would look at our lives and to use language that Paul uses in the New Testament to, to provoke them to jealousy, to provoke them to jealousy. It's not a, and it, Paul doesn't use that in a bad sense of the term, can I just add. Um, he uses it in a sense that they will see your life um, as you embrace what is good and true, when you embrace what is of God and think, you know, well, that's what I want. That is what I want. That is appealing to me. Look at the way that they live their life. Look at the fruit that comes from the way that they live their life. That's the life that I want to, I want to live and enjoy. But unfortunately, sometimes I think as, as believers, we can disengage ourselves from the Great Commission by taking on this. It's almost a fearful mindset, isn't it? A fearful mindset that the world's going to pollute us. Whatever happened to you know, to First John 4.4? 4? 1 John 4, 4, it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in what? Than he that is in the world. It means you can spend time in the world and realize that the one that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. That the inclinations, that the, that the impressions that God has on you are greater than that which the world will have upon you. You know, I've, I've literally experienced it where, I've encountered this, you know, where some where some believers or they get tense about you know they go into the workplace and they play the secular radio all day and they sit there and they literally get tense and anxious as though like they're getting polluted and as though this is going to have some kind of you know harm on them I think you know you're being ridiculous you're being ridiculous it isn't what we hear that harms us let me tell you it is what we embrace as true and good that will either harm us or help us let me say that again. It isn't what we hear that harms us. It's what we embrace as true and good that will either harm us or help us. That's why God has given us his word so that we can test, as the language of Paul is used, we can test the spirits. We can distinguish between spirits. We can, we can see what, a, you know, what that, the motivation behind that teaching is. We can understand what the, you know, where, the, where the heart of that philosophy has come from, where this ideology comes from. Let's not forget Philippians 1 verse 9 to 12. It says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love what the, the English Standard Version, the ESV actually says it like this, so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you can prove what is excellent and be blameless for the day of Christ. You know, I, I often think that, I think that the gift of discernment has often been portrayed um, as a gift of being able to expose what is bad. And, and whilst that is an element of it, don't get me wrong, that is an element of it, it's as much, as, it's as much about being able to recognize what is good. Because let me tell you, there are plenty of people that recognize what is bad, but they still don't embrace what is good. And I, I don't believe it's God's desire 
that we keep ourselves from the world, but that we know how to distinguish between what is of God and that which is not of God. Now let's go a little bit deeper with it. I'm not, I'm not going to speak for, for, for too long this morning because it's a family service, but just going a little bit deeper, the, the Greek word for this, you all love a Greek word, don't we, as Christians? <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this properly, but there's no Greeks in the place, is there? No? Well, none of you are going to understand if I've said it right or not, are you? So the Greek word um, for the gift of discernment is uh, diachrisis. Again, you're not going to know whether I said it right or not. And the word describes being able to distinguish, discern, judge, or appraise a person, statement, situation, or environment. Again, 1 John 4.1 says this. John, John instructs the believers to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world and it's extremely important that we aren't, you know, that we're not tempted to um, cast aside that, that, com that commandment and that instruction. John was telling us to do this for a reason because John understood the, uh, the need for discernment in a world where not all information is good information. You know, there's something that I believe every parent should tell the children at some point in their lives. Not all information is good information. We still live in that world where there is a contention for truth. Probably more so now than ever, actually. You know, you have, you've only got to open up your, you know, your news app on your phone to realize that there is a contention for the truth. You've only got to listen to the conversations going on in the coffee shops to realize that there's a contention for the truth. You've only got to, to delve into what is coming out in media, you know, in our nation, to realize that there is a contention for the truth. And so, you know, John's exhortation, his encouragement, if you like, is this, to test worldly philosophies. He's saying, be mature. You know, don't just take on every wind of every teaching that comes through because it's not going to harm you. It's going to damage you spiritually. It says, test worldly philosophies, test doctrines and test new perspectives and ideas that come out of the mouths of everyone. You know, whether that's a politician, whether that's a celebrity, whether that's a community leader, or whether it's Pat who lives down the road at number 17. You know, when you're, when you're having a cup of tea. <laughs> we are to test everything that comes through. You know, we're to test everything that comes through our, our television screens. Test everything that, that, that comes over our radio waves. Test everything that comes over your laptop screen and, in, and through, your, through your phone. I'm not, being, I'm not being strange or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to, to say to us, church, that there's a contention for the truth. And we, you know, we stress this so much. I hope that you can hear how much we stress this and how much I'm stressing this because I actually encourage you that in the church, you'll have heard us say this before, I actually encourage you in the church to test what comes out of the mouths of your pastors and your leaders and your teachers as well. This is how important this is. You know, it doesn't mean that everybody goes on some, like, please hear me, let me temper this a little bit. It doesn't mean they go on some kind of crazy witch hunt, you know, and we all get out the detector, you know, the discernment detector. Beep, 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 you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and, and stop worrying and, and, and causing anxiety in the church because, you know, more often than not, that culture in the church, it doesn't lead to health anyway. It leads to harm. It leads to suspicion and, and fear and, you know, and ultimately it harms the church. And the truth is that the gift of discernment is given for the health of the church. It shouldn't lead to harm. 
you know, to possess um, the gift of discernment is essentially the ability to make good judgments. That's what it comes down to. I, you know, I, I remember growing up in a culture in church where discernment was this, one, this weird spine-tingling feeling that you got when you walked into a room. You know, when strange Betty at the back used to come in and go, ooh, and seemed a lot more spiritual than everybody else. It's not that. It's the ability to make good judgments. It's to be able to, to discern what is true. Do you know what? Like, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, how do you know if somebody's a discerning person? Well, the first thing to go for is this. Well, do they read their Bible? Because I've, 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 I've met plenty of people who claim to be discerning people. They don't even read God's word. You know, they're, they're spewing hot air. You know, don't listen to them. You can tell a discerning person because first and foremost, they've got to love for God's word. Let's go back to our first core value, a love for God's word. You'll recognize a discerning person because they've got a hunger to, to digest God's word. They've got a hunger to spend time in God's word. Good judgments in the church should always lead to the body of believers being built up as opposed to torn down. As, you know, recap, as I opened you know, with that, uh, that passage from 1 Corinthians 12, now to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit, which gives discernment, and it is given for what? The common good. What's Paul saying there? It should help the church. It should benefit the body of believers. And all of us, let's be honest with ourselves, right? Let's just be vulnerable and open. All of us are susceptible at times in our lives where we act poorly. Right? That's a given, isn't it? We act poorly or you know, we take on attitudes that just simply aren't a reflection of the of the heart of Christ or the character of Christ. Let me tell you, in these times, because this is I'm coming on to like a, a another aspect of discernment now and how it can work one of the ways it can work out in the church in that, you know, we have to be open to yeah, this comes back to, you know, the desire to the desire to learn, the desire to be open. And in good loving relationships, allowing you know, maybe from time to time, people who care about you, people that love you, allowing them a little bit of space to speak into your life when there's, you know, when there's something that just isn't good, when there's just simply that something that simply will not benefit you and have eternal benefit on your life. Um, let me tell you, on those uh, occasions, it is a grace from God to have other believers around you that love you and care about you, that are willing to, um, don't get me wrong, gently and motivated by love, but call you out. It's, important, it's, it's imperative, in fact, to have the Christian that goes through their life never having anybody that can speak a strong word to them when they're in the wrong is somebody that ultimately isn't, well, they're not going to go very far. They're not going to go very far. You know, some people, unfortunately, end up you know, not being Christians and backsliding. It's so important. You know, for any of you that are parents, um, for any of us that are parents in here, I don't know if you've ever noticed that phase that kids seem to go through, don't they? Where they, um, you know, they they grow, don't they? They get a little bit bigger, and um, and they get a little taste for independence, don't they? They get a taste for independence where they think, you know, oh, I can achieve this now. I'm, you know, I'm a bit bigger, I'm a bit stronger, so I'm going to have a go at that myself. And um, you know, when you offer some help to them, you know, they reject it. Now I can do this myself. Step back. Jimmy's going through this stage at the minute. I don't know if you noticed, um, but he's, he's going through this like little stage at the minute where 
he's, he's obviously aware that his, you know, his body's changed and he's, you know, got strength and that. So you'll find him trying to climb up on top of, you know, a really high bookshelf or something to try and grab something from the top, or something of that, you know, something of that nature. He ends up doing something that's dangerous, which, quite frankly, he could do with our help to, to achieve. But, you know, he's got this new found confidence in himself, and so he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want mum and dad's help. Um, and so he goes it alone, and it usually ends badly. It usually ends up with him in tears or some bang and bruise on the head or something like that. Um, but I've got to be honest, sometimes, you know, when he gets himself into those situations, I'm inclined to let him have a go. I'm inclined to let him. This is the difference between the paternal and the maternal instinct, because mums love to just run in there, don't they? Oh! Oh, there's going to be blood, there's going to be blood. And like, he's 25, love, you know, cut the, <laughs> cut the apron strings, he's got to get married one day. Um, but I like to just let him have a go. I'm not talking about standing there with a carving knife, going, oh, this is nice, isn't it? I'm not talking about anything dangerous, but sometimes it's good to, I, I like to let him have a go. Um, but like I said, more often than not, it ends up, you know, going badly. It ends up going badly and he hurts himself. Uh, you know, in those situations, it would have been better for him to allow mum or dad to help, wouldn't it? That's the truth. It would have been better for him. He could have avoided hurting himself um, if he'd have just been able to accept some assistance. Now, I think that that's actually a really good uh, spiritual reflection of the church when we don't give room for the gift of discernment to do its work amongst us. I honestly do. That sometimes in our lives, when if we're unwilling to allow people with discernment you know, always a discernment, the gift of discernment, as Paul adds, you know, it's always got to be motivated by love. It's always got to be motivated by love. Um, but when we don't allow people with discernment that care about us to, to speak into our lives or into the life of our church at times, it can harm us. It can harm us and we do a, a disservice to the body of Christ, I believe. If there's no space for people for discerning people to identify potential pitfalls, you know, then let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of broken bones around, isn't there? You know, Luke 6.39 says this. He also told them this parable. This is Jesus speaking. He says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a, into a pit? Let me tell you that you know, the blind leading the blind is never a good idea for everyone involved, is it? You know, the way I see it, the gift of discernment is... Um, it's almost like that. I believe it's like the spiritual headlights of the church, the spiritual headlights um, of the church. It allows us to see clearly in the darkness that we can so easily lose our way in. And the church needs to have those headlights to navigate through. You know, it, it, it needs to have those headlights. It needs to have discernment to be able to navigate through what is. Um, well, it's an anti-God culture, isn't it? Well, not so much an anti-God culture, but certainly an anti-Jesus culture. We live in a culture, obviously, where every faith is, is now embraced, you know, and everything is placed on the same par in an effort to, to stop squabbling, essentially, is what it is, isn't it? But um, it's an anti-Jesus culture. I mean, talk about the importance of discernment. And I'm, I'm going to finish in just a second. But Galatians, you know, Galatians chapter 2. I just want to just kind of come to a close with this, but the importance of discernment in the church. Please listen to this loud and clear. Galatians chapter 2. What you'll find there in Galatians chapter 2 is, a, a, is a, an, a hugely important moment in the history of the church. 
Massively important. I mean, you're talking so significant that we might not even be sat here today had it gone differently. In Galatians chapter 2, they were at the church of Antioch and, um, and, the, and Peter, the apostle, it says that before the Jewish believers arrived, some, you know, some, some Jewish believers from James uh, arrived, Peter would sit down and he'd have fellowship with the Gentile believers. Gentiles as in non-Jews, essentially, to people of all nations. And he would sit down and he'd enjoy fellowship with them. He would love them. He would uh, embrace them. He would do you know, that, which, you know, that which is good and right to do. It says when the Jewish believers turned up, though, he refrained from, from eating with them. He refrained from fellowship with them because the culture was, the tradition um, was that, you know, that Jews separated themselves from the other people. And, and Paul, looking on, Paul, looking on, was operating in the spirit of discernment. He was operating in the spirit of discernment. Paul looked at this and he actually went to Peter and he confronted him about it. You know, because let's face it, if, that, if, if Paul hadn't gone to Peter and he hadn't seen the error of his way, if Paul hadn't had the discernment and the, the relationship with Peter, might I add, to, to point that out, he would have, well, it says, it already says that Peter was influencing other believers. He led some others astray in what he was doing. If that would have carried on, and that would have been the norm and it would have been acceptable. You're talking millions and millions and millions of other people probably wouldn't have heard the gospel. It would have halted in many ways the progress of the gospel. Um, you know, that ultimately has led to, you know, us being here today. Discernment, I would argue that discernment allowed Paul to notice the actions of Peter were harmful. Not only to Peter himself but, uh, and those present, but harmful to the progress of the gospel. Ultimately, discernment is a gift that helps the community, as in the church. Yeah, discernment is a gift that helps the church. Um, you know, people that carry the gift of discernment will, at times, you know, and this may be you, the spirit the, the, uh, that God may have, have given you a spirit of discernment, and there may be at times where you will, no doubt, um, feel an impression about uh, an issue that you see. You know, something that. Something that alarms them, something that alarms you. Now listen, because this is really important. Okay, discernment is used badly, though, when people with um, the gift of discernment see something that may well need to be brought to attention, but the moment they notice it, you know, the air raid sirens go off. <laughs> Can I just tell you, that's a bad way to operate the gift of discernment. In fact, I would say that if you, if you do operate that way, you, you, it probably maybe isn't discernment that you're operating in. That's a bad way to operate the gift of discernment because all it does is bring disorder and confusion and, and quite often it results in division. I love this, what Corrie ten Boom said. Corrie ten Boom said this, discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault finding. She's speaking, very, that's, 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 that's very, very true that is. I think she's really, really communicating truth there. Discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault finding. What does that mean for us practically outworked in the church? It means this. You, there's probably times where you are going to see something in a brother and si or a sister that is, you know, that is harmful, that isn't God's best for them and it isn't the best for the church. Can I, can I encourage you though, before you go to them, because people often do this the opposite way around, before you go to them and speak to them about it, make sure you go to God first and speak to him about it. 
make sure you go. People do it the opposite way around sometimes, and they run in. The air raid siren goes off. Woo, 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 woo. Discernment police. And quite often, when people do that, they've got many things going on in their own lives. First, let's not forget Jesus's words when he spoke about, you know, not being a hypocrite. You know, let's do some self-analysis first. Remove that, you know, the plank from your own eye before you can go and remove the speck out of your brother's eye. I mean, what Paul, Paul says it so clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Forget the wedding stuff that goes along with that for a minute, right? He's saying this, if you're a spiritual person, if you're filled with, filled with the Holy Spirit, you should be filled with love. You should be filled with love for your, for your brothers and your sisters. Whenever you operate any of these spiritual gifts, love is the, should be that which accompanies it. This is like the, you know, for me, it's like the disclaimer that accompanies the spiritual gifts. It's like Paul saying to the church, you know, feel free to use the spiritual gifts that God has given you, but be warned, if you use them without the right motive, it won't lead to anything positive. So, I guess, I'm, you know, just get into the nitty-gritty um, really of this message you know just on a real practical point and I'm going to close you know please just be open enough for me to, to say this and take this in the right sense okay if God shows you something about a, a fellow brother or sister in the church you know could I encourage you before you wade in there wielding an axe and throwing your weight around and tearing them to pieces get before God get before God because you don't want to see somebody's destruction, do you? You don't want to see somebody's discouragement. What you want to see is somebody built up. You want to see somebody encouraged in their faith, don't you? I think it's good practice in those situations. It's good and loving practice in those situations that you don't bring it to their attention before you've brought it to God's attention. Okay? So my encouragement this morning is simple. You know, the church needs a spirit of discernment. You know, and God designates that as he, as he sees fit. You know, and I pray that within an atmosphere of love for one another, we might, you know, we might see this spiritual gift work for our good. You know, because God has given, given this gift to the church for our good. You know, that we might, be, uh, we might see and be humble enough to notice areas of our lives maybe at times. You know, areas of, you know, the directions that we take sometimes that, um, that we can take before God and let him address. Is that all right? I know it's maybe a bit of a challenging, a challenging thing to say, but but it is true that God has given a, a a spirit of discernment to the church. And if we're going to operate in that spirit of discernment for our benefit, there has to be a there has to be an openness, a lovingness for one another, um, to give space for it. Okay, because I, I believe it will benefit the church moving forward. And we want you know we want the fullness of the spiritual gifts, don't we? I certainly do. You know, we're Pentecostal in our, you know, in our tradition. You know, we're AOG, the Assemblies of God, who we are, uh, we are affiliated with. We're an Assemblies of God church. We're born, you know, out of, out of that move of the Spirit, out of Azusa Street. And the spiritual gifts are relevant to this day. And the church is worse off without them. Okay. I'm going to hand back over to Tony. Bless you.